Hi, I'm Debbie Harbeck, and I'm a certified life coach working with women in midlife and through the menopause transition. So each week, I'll be sharing the latest information, inspiration, and generate some momentum so you can move forward and feel more in control of your changing midlife body and your life. Let's go. Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Momentum Podcast. I'm so happy you're here today because I've invited Juliana Hever to the podcast, and she's also known as the plant-based dietitian. She has a BA in theater and an MS in nutrition, so she's bridging her biggest passions for food, presenting, and helping people. And she's authored nine books, including the latest, Choose You Now Diet, also the Health Span Solution, Plant-Based Nutrition, the idiots, one of the idiots' guides, and the Vegetarian Diet, and two peer-reviewed journal articles on plant-based nutrition for healthcare professionals. She was also the host of the Choose You Now podcast and the wellness talk show television series, What Would Juliana Do? Juliana has a TED Talk, which I watched, and she's appeared on the Dr. Oz show, Harry, and the Steve Harvey show. And today she's a guest on this podcast. So thank you for being here, Juliana. I'm so, I'm so glad you made the time to be here. Oh, thank you for having me, Debbie. I'm excited about our conversation. I'm looking forward to this because I I would consider myself more or less plant-based. I was vegetarian, although I've added some fish into the mix in the last couple of years. But I am being myself 51 and being in midlife, and I do serve women in midlife. I'm just wondering how a plant-based diet could be a great advantage for women in midlife. Do you, what's your thoughts on that? So many thoughts. So (laughs) of course, as we get older, you know, things matter more and especially like taking care of ourselves and, you know, mother nature's kind of done with us after menopause, right? We can't make kids anymore. We can't, you know, contribute to that. So like, we need to kind of take over and really kind of look at our lifestyle. And that's when stuff starts to hit us. And so diet is the number one cause of early death and disability. So I feel like that's the most empowering statistic because we get to decide what we eat. You are quite literally what you eat. You become what you consume. The the, the food particles you take in from nature, you deconstruct them and you reconstruct them as needed and you excrete what you don't. And the body is so brilliantly attuned to what it needs and what it doesn't need. So it's really powerful to think that you can have a say in your health and how you feel and your well-being, your energy, all of that. So a whole food plant-based diet, which is, I would define as a diet based on vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices. I like to say in infinite tasty combinations because there's so many delicious options and food has to be delicious. And I don't even like to use the words like vegan or vegetarian because it is more of an exclusive definition of what you don't eat. Rather, I like to include what what you're really trying to focus on in your diet. So in the literature, now I've been teaching this for over 20 years and the literature just keeps escalating and compounding just mounds and mounds of amazing data showing all sorts of benefits of eating this way. But the biggest ones, the ones that are really well substantiated over the long, many years now, decades, is that a whole food plant-based diet is the only diet that's ever been shown to reverse late stage cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes, like actually reverse, like get rid of the diagnoses. Like people, when I was in training, it was like, no, your role is to mitigate the progression of disease or to mitigate the progression of increasing dosage of medication. But I see my, my clients get better and heal and recover, get off medications, which is extraordinary. And there's also links to associations with reduced risk for hypertension, hyperglycemia, 
high cholesterol, uh, significant associations between limiting obesity inflammatory markers. Now we're seeing amazing benefits for cognitive issues and autoimmune issues. It's just, it keeps growing and growing kidney. I mean, it's amazing what a whole food plant-based diet can do. And it sounds really crazy because it's like a one size fits all thing. And of course there's a lot of, you know, details and stuff in there, but it's pretty extraordinary what you could do by just getting rid of all the, you know, much of the really processed foods and limiting or eliminating animal products and eating this whole plant diet can do extraordinary things. Wow. There's this, there's so much in there, <laughs> so much in there, but I love that. I love the idea that we can reverse these conditions just by what we eat. And I think that's really important because I su assume that no matter what age we are, we could start eating a whole food plant-based diet and be able to possibly get off medications, which I think is such a powerful thing, especially in midlife when we have all these other things going on in our lives. If we could reduce the medications we're on and, and just feel better in our bodies just through what we can eat. I think that that would be enormously helpful, especially with all the symptoms we're going through and everything else that's happening in perimenopause and menopause. So yes. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm assuming that, do you have a link? Do you feel that there's a link between food and our symptoms and, and what would they what should we eat in order to mitigate those symptoms? And I know there's a lot of them and I'm giving you a really big question because it could be hot flashes. It could be migraines. It could be uh, body aches and pains, but I don't know. What do you know about uh, mitigating those symptoms through what we're eating? So the majority of my clients are perimenopausal. So I could talk from anecdote from my clients, but I've worked with thousands of people, but I could also cite some of the literature, at least ref refer to some of the literature. And there's a lot of evidence to support reduction in all of those types of symptoms. I've had clients and I know lots of stories, again, anecdote, and I've read papers too, of women going through menopause and not even realizing it. So all of a sudden they've had a year without their period and it feel fine because of their diet was so good. And I've worked with clients at every single decade throughout, you know, like every across the lifespan, baby to senior, senior, you know, nineties and everyone, everyone sees an improvement when they change their diet. So no matter where you are on the spectrum of age or perimenopause or a, a disease condition, you can always improve with your diet. And even if it's a little bit of improvement, who doesn't want that? But the good news is I see massive improvement so especially yeah, a lot of women that are suffering with, oh my gosh, the hot flashes. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for what you're putting in your body. It's, it's a two, two sides of the same coin. It's what you are getting like that onslaught of phytonutrients and fiber and all those wonderful micronutrients that you get in whole plant foods. But it's also what you're not taking in the saturated fat, the heme iron, lots of sodium and sugar and oils and stuff like that, that just really are hard on the body. So you're basically freeing up your body to take care of all the metabolic house cleaning, all of the hormonal changes that it needs to do on its own without getting in its way. I like that. You didn't say anything about dairy. So I do have a question about dairy because personally, I've been somebody who's never liked milk all my life. And that was always something that I was told, oh, you need to drink your milk. You need to do this because you need strong bones. And I mean, I know there's cultures that don't have any dairy at all and they've survived. So I know that that's not necessarily a thing, but I think as we get into midlife and then there's this whole concern about osteopenia and osteoporosis and we need to have our calcium. And so all of a sudden there's this resurgence of you must drink your milk again. You must have your dairy. Um, and that's, I hear it being pushed again. What do you, what's your stance on dairy? <laughs> 
I have a whole lot to say about dairy. <laughs> I will preface it by saying that it is the most effective marketing campaign of all time that I've mm -hmm. ever heard of. It's so potent because they are indoctrinating children with the cool athletes and celebrities with the milk mustaches when they're little babies in the their lunchroom. I'm a mom too. So I watched this all thing, this all happen. And they're all the way through healthcare professionals. Like I can get free continuing ed for the dairy industry to tell me how much we need dairy free. And like, that's a lot of money to pay for your continuing ed. So this, and they do this to physicians. They do this everywhere. They have these major camp. It's really a brilliant strategy. And the reason I emphasize that first is because we really believe to our soul that if we don't have dairy, our bones are going to dissolve, our teeth are going to fall out and we'll never survive. But in fact, that's not true because not only is calcium not unique to dairy, right? There's way we'll talk about, I want to talk about all the nutrition for bone health. We could, we can deep dive into bone health because that's an important topic for us, for women our age, but it's just, it's really nefarious that we have that messaging. And the truth is I, the first thing I recommend people do to make a positive impact on their diet, everyone. The, if I had one piece of advice for everyone, if they wanted to make one dietary change, not only to eat fruits and vegetables, but even more than that is to cut out the dairy. Why? Because it's, it's it's got hormones in it. People are like, oh, soy, it's got a phytoestrogen. Like, yeah, well, dairy is actual estrogen, estradiol, which is thousands of times stronger. And it actually does promote the growth of cancer. We know that. And it promotes, you know, there's lots of saturated fat. Cheese is the number one source of saturated fat for most people, especially in the, in the you know, Northern America and everywhere. And so, and then if you also think about the fact, this is the part that boggles my mind as a dietitian, it's upwards of 60 to 90%, depending on the type of population and culture that become lactose deficient really early on. And then, you know, why? Because we're not, we're the only species that consumes milk after lactating. And we're the only species that consumes the milk of another species. So, but we're being told as healthcare professionals, make, you know, do whatever they can to get that dairy. And, you know, if you have to take an enzyme, you have to take the, it's like, why would you, your body is rejecting something and we're forcing it in as if it's the sole source of calcium in the diet. And I think that's very misleading and harmful. So I, and I've seen people with allergies and asthma and eczema for like their lifetime and myself included, I, I healed a lifetime of suffering with my skin and my sinuses by cutting out dairy. So I've seen that's, that's the number one thing I've seen the most effective results from. So I can go on and on about bone health, but like the first thing is you don't need dairy and you're better off without it. Okay. So I, I, then I will ask though, what do you suggest for bone health in midlife? If we're not going to have dairy nutrition wise, what should we do? Okay. So first and foremost, even paramount is weight bearing exercise, making sure if you're not, if you don't use it, you lose it. Same muscle bone, you want to use your muscles and bones. And so that means walking like where you're getting impact walking and you know or jogging but walking is easier for most people something you could sustain your whole life you know and then weight training or yoga or something that you're constantly giving your full body attention like so you know especially you want to make sure you're including your cervical spine the upper spine and all that too so you want to get a full body of resistance training that's really important the set and then let's talk about diet okay so there's a lot of things about diet first of all if your vitamin D levels in your blood, your serum vitamin D levels are not optimal, which so many people are not around the world, it's like a global thing, um, you're not going to absorb calcium no matter how much you take in. So the number one thing is make sure your serum vitamin D levels are optimal. You get a blood test, 
If it's suboptimal, you could try sun therapy, but that's not always effective. Even I live in Los Angeles. We're at the perfect latitude, sun 360 days a year. And still me and all, you know, we're all sitting here like testing low on vitamin D because we're all indoors and sunscreen extra body fat inhibits absorption. So if you're too low and the sun's not working, supplement, don't be afraid to supplement. And the dosing matters because it's a fat soluble nutrient. So ask your healthcare professional, but, uh, but 2000 IU a day is a safe maintenance dose for most people, but it's important to know your D levels. That's most important nutritionally. Then once you have that going on, you're all good. You got your sun, you got your exercise, you got your vitamin D optimal. Then you want to think about other things. So like calcium, yes, we need calcium. Where do you get calcium? Leafy greens, beans, broccoli, bok choy, uh, tahini, sesame seeds, tofu. Calcium-set tofu is a wonderful source of, of calcium. Plant milks. So what they do with the plant milks, you know, uh, in cow milk, the vitamin D is also fortified. It doesn't come naturally. So we do the same thing in the plant milks. They put in the same amount of vitamin D, but it also has the same amount of calcium. So you're losing all of the hormones and all those horrible things that are in the dairy. And you're getting the same thing with the plant milk with that. So it's like a one win-win situation. So that's a great source as well. Figs are great. Almonds are great. Almond butter, those kind of things. So take in, I mean, women need about a thousand of depending on your age to 1200 milligrams a day. It's not that hard to do if you're thinking about it and you're just looking for those foods. Oranges are good. So calcium is one thing. Also, you want to make sure if you're on a plant-based diet, you want to make sure you're getting B12, actually no matter what you're eating after the age of 50, B12 becomes an issue for everyone. Institute of medicine recommends supplementing with B12 after the age of 50, because we decrease our amount of intrinsic factor that we create in our stomachs so that we're not absorbing. So it's important, even if you're eating meat, you still need to take a B12 supplement after the age of 50 and anyone on a plant-based diet, no matter their age needs a B12 supplement as well. And then there's other things for bone health, like vitamin K. So eating lots and lots of leafy greens. I can't even emphasize. I always sign my, when I autograph my books, I sign off as with leafy green love because it's like the most extraordinary food you could put in your body. Just douse yourself in greens and cooked and raw and everything in between. It's good for vitamin K and all a million things. And what else? Those are the most important key nutrients. But then the other thing is like not having those processed foods and sugar and stuff, which really kind of do impact the bone health. Like you do kind of lose mineralization and stuff when you're consuming a lot of that food because it's an inflammatory process. So we're trying to reduce inflammation and optimize, you know, nutrient absorption, all of that. That's, that's why it's, it's a complicated issue, but it's really not. It's just eat more plants, don't eat dairy and exercise, and you should be really good. Oh, that's great. Because That's great for me because I don't like dairy, but I've survived this long without a broken bone. So I, I knew, I know there's something to that, but it's, it's good to hear it from you. Somebody who's a professional in the field and you're seeing this. So that's really great. And I love all the substitutes that we can have like the plant milks. Cause I do love my plant milk. So uh, I put that in my tea in the morning. So I do try to have some of that at least and, and all the leafy greens. And I, like I tell everybody, eat as much as you want of leafy greens. There's no limit of leafy greens. So what a great idea. So those are all really good. You mentioned B12. What is B12 and, and what does it, what does it do in our bodies exactly? So it's obviously a B vitamin and it's a vitamin that's found. Well, it's kind of created by the microorganisms in the soil and the animals eat it. And that's how people get it from animals. And also it used to be in our produce, but we washed our produce now. We've become very you know, we don't have soil on our produce anymore because who wants to eat a crunchy piece of lettuce or that's like crunchy from dirt. Um, so we were, because we're such a clean society now and our waters are clean, we don't just naturally get the B12 that would be found normally naturally. So it's a nutrient that we need mostly for the neurological system. 
Mm-hmm. which is why I beg people to stay on top of this because if you become B12 deficient, you won't know. It's a, I always call it the pickiest vitamin, finickiest vitamin with an attitude problem because it's digested and absorbed in a really strange way because it has a logarithmic absorption curve. It's not like you could just take it once in a while and it's just fine. It's like, it'll, it'll not show up in your blood work. It will like, it'll, there's like a lag. It's really complicated. So to make it simple, take a B12 supplement and take it in the right dose. If you go to my website, I have all the specific dosings. It's my website's plantbaseddietitian.com. And if you just type in B12, you'll see, but it's, it's like either taking 50 micrograms twice a day, 150 micrograms once a day, or 2000 micrograms once a week. Those are the three most optimal for absorption dosing of B12. But the problem is if you don't, if you ignore this, people will end up because they're not aware and it's not showing up in their blood work and it's asymptomatic until it is. And all of a sudden you could have irreversible neurological damage, which it's so not worth it because you could easily cheaply and effectively prevent anything like that from happening. Okay. So if you are eating meat though, do you, you're saying that as we age, we still need to supplement with B12? After, well, the Institute of Medicine says after the age of 50, you need to supplement no matter what your diet is. Okay. Because we just reduced the intrinsic factor production. And so we're not able to, again, it's so hard to absorb this stuff. It's so mm-hmm. picky that that's, that's the reason for that. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I did not know that about B12. I know it was a concern when I was, you know, vegetarian, vegans a lot, but I didn't know that. So that's really interesting to, to know. Another thing, and I know we, we already went to hot flashes, but um, I'm going to ask you this specifically only because I've had hot flashes show up very recently for me. They're, I wouldn't say they're really terrible or anything, but I've noticed that, oh, I think that those are hot flashes. So I'm just curious, nutritionally, is there anything that you would recommend for hot flashes specifically? So again, it's what you're not consuming that would be really helpful is to get rid of the processed foods and sugar and animal products. But then there is some links to soy products reducing hot flashes. So some edamame or tofu, then you get the tofu, you get your calcium and your, you know, potential reduction in risk of hot flashes. But again, it's your overall, you know, you could think about like when I was doing this at the beginning for the first 10, 15 years. And the media just wants little quick bits and they just want the the clickbait stuff. And so it was always like this superfood or that evil food. And I used to play the game, but it was like, this is so ridiculous because there's not one food that's going to save your life. And there's not one food that's going to kill you. It's like what you do on a day-to-day basis is what really matters. And that's why I love the idea of a whole food plant-based diet, because if you're really founding your baseline on these whole foods, you're going to get all of those benefits naturally. You don't need to be perfect in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, because I have a feeling that everything you're talking about here, if we all started eating that way, we would not just, you know, have better bone health or reduce our heart heart flashes, but we would also reduce our risk of diabetes and reduce our risk of heart disease and reduce our risk of, you know, um, Alzheimer's and all these conditions that we're more worried about as we get into midlife. But I think just by solving for one thing, chances are we're solving for a whole bunch of things. That's the impression I get. Absolutely. It's, it truly is a one size fits all. And that sounds impossible. And if you would have told me this in grad school, I would have thought that's insane. And sounds like, you know, like I'm preaching or something, but it really, if you look and look and look, there's so many mechanisms of action by which these things happen. Like if you think about the core of what disease is, and this is more of a, this is more of like an Eastern philosophy thinking too, really like, like holistic medicine, right? Mm -hmm. We are one body. We are one circulatory system. Everything is connected and stuff that, you know, when you get an inflammation cascade, it sets off a cascade that can promote wherever it ends up and lands in your 
which organ it's going to target or which system it's going to target. And that's why some people get diabetes and some people get heart disease. Of course, there's this genetic underlying painting of where that stuff shows up, but it all stems from the same thing from bad diet is number one, literally ahead of smoking. Diet wow. is the number one cause of early death and disability ahead of smoking in the world. So diet is the most important movement activity, right? Social connection, stress reduction. Those things are huge for how your body handles stress. We are constantly bombarded by viruses, as we all know now really well, and bacteria and fungus and, and cancer cells. Every day we have cancer cells exposure, like all these things. What you want to do is arm your body to stay in homeostasis. You know, our bodies are brilliant at maintaining homeostasis and that's all it wants to do. So how do you stay in homeostasis um, with all the stuff onslaughting you? It's by getting, staying, doing all the things you can to make that happen. So is inflammation the underlying thing? And is that what we're solving for through, through eating this way? That's one of the mechanisms. Yeah. You can look at so many, you can look at oxidation, you can look at inflammation, mm. you can look at um, all diseases start with something like that. Okay. So yeah. it all centers on the same thing and just where it manifests and how it manifests in your body may be slightly unique based on your genetics and your lifestyle. Okay. Okay. I like that because it kind of simplifies things a little. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. That's what I want. My biggest message to the world whenever I talk is keep it simple. We get into the weeds. And when I speak, I've been this year, I've traveled a lot and spoken to a lot of audiences, a lot of healthcare professionals. And I tell them, please, if you tell your patients, just eat more fruits and vegetables, get the 10 servings a day of fruits and vegetables and minimize animal products and processed food. That's that alone will change their life. If we just did that and our, our patients and clients go, oh, I could just, that's easy. Not like, oh, eat a low glycemic, high carbohydrate, moderate protein, low fat. What does that mean? Nobody even knows what that means. It's so confusing. And then everyone's like, screw it. I'm just going to get fast food because I don't even know what I'm supposed it's to be doing. Too complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So though that covers sort of like the, what we eat, but it's also the, how we eat, like in terms of how we eat, like something I, I talk to my clients a lot about is, you know, eating when you're hungry and stop eating when you're satisfied and maybe eat a little slower. And just so you can really know your cues and get in touch with your body. And then, and then there's time restricted eating. Cause that's the one that I think comes up a lot from people is like, how should I do this? What would be the benefits for me if I did that? And in particularly in midlife, what are, do you know if there are specific benefits in midlife or is it just overall benefits for time-restricted eating? Well, it's overall benefits. I think anything that benefits us now benefit would benefit us anytime in life. So it's all, yeah. it's all again, one size fits all quality, one size fits all details, uh, I think across the lifespan, but there's a lot of evidence on fasting in general, like long-term fast and fast, all the stuff that we know from fasting from the beginning of like since Hippocrates, since the beginning, but I love time-restricted eating because it's a way to implement some of those benefits in a painless way, because you just like, it's just, it's not that hard at all. You get really very comfortable very quickly. But um, I want to just go back a little bit and say, yeah. I also am obsessed with the, like, that's my last book. And my, what I'm passionate about is the mindful component. And I would separate that, like the why we eat and the how we eat from the when we eat. Because I think the when we mm. eat is the restricted eating is a kind of a whole other, because that's just a behavioral or a thing that you can 
uh, apply like a system. But I think that mindfulness, that's what I work on. That's what I do one-on-one deep with my clients too. Like, well, why are we eating and what do we do? When should we, all of that stuff is so important. Hunger, satiety. So many people come to me. They don't even know what that means for themselves. Like they don't recognize it. So that's amazing. It's, I could go on and on about that psychological part and the psychosocial environment that we live in this crazy world, but okay. That's set aside. Time-restricted eating for women, perimenopausal, anyone really is incredible for a health span. So the only way we've ever extended lifespan and health span in all organisms tested, the model organisms tested. So yeast and mice and flies and um, and then all the way to our primate cousins, right? They're, they've studied primates as well for long periods of time. The only way we've ever extended that lifespan and increased health span was with dietary restriction without malnutrition. So that means eating less, but eating quality. Cause if you have less real estate, everything, every bite matters more, but if you're eating less, you can extend things. And so there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of really great evidence. And you see these, you look at people that have done those low calorie diets and they've studied those. And if you put the pieces together, it seems like this is one of the best things you could do. Eat a plant-based diet and eat, give yourself a lot of time in the fasted state, your body will be so happy. So, I mean, I, I see incredible things, but the cool, I think the coolest part, I do a lot of weight loss transformation that's like mm-hmm. the majority of my clients. Now we go through a program, they lose 0.4 to 0.8 pounds a day. It's very strategic. I've knocked this out of thousands of people. So I've tracked all this data and it's very predictable, which is very exciting for me because it took me a long time to understand this. But um, with weight loss in particular, time restricted eating has a perk. It doesn't have a perk calorically. The studies show that if you if you match calorically a time restricted eating versus regular eat throughout the day as ad libitum, um, that the weight loss is the same or the weight means is the same. So it's not a calorie thing. However, for a lot of the people I work with, a lot of people, when they start eating, they can't stop, they overeat or they're eating throughout the day and they're constantly in the fed state. And it's just a way of overeating. So I like to lock it in. So most of my clients love to do about two times a day. Then they have to stop eating only twice, right? And only start twice. But the best part for weight loss specifically is if you eat it, this is my biggest hack. If you eat at the same time every day, those are the only times you'll be hungry. You're not hungry all day long. So it's not like you're on a diet or you're restricting, you're miserable. You feel great. And it's like, oh, it's time to eat. And then you save all this extra time, not eating throughout the day and not worrying about it. And you just, you have it scheduled in. Wow. It sounds easy. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a lot easier yeah. than you think. And then once yeah, you start, so. it's like, yeah, within a few days, yeah. most people adjust three, four days, maybe six or seven max to get like feeling really good. Okay. I'm, I'm still eating three times a day, but I do probably do it within a, a 14 hour, uh, 10 hour window, I should say. So I, I have adjusted the way, the timing of my eating and it does feel good. And I do listen to being hungry, but I also know from experience that if I change my eating schedule, my body will adapt to that. Like you said, right. If you start eating twice a day, well, your body's just going to learn that's when we eat and that's when yes. you're going to get hungry. Right. Yeah. No, and the evidence is really strong on eating three times a day. And so that's great. And especially, I'm sorry, not eating three times a day, eating in the 10 to 12 hour window. Some people say six, eight, 10, but you're, what you're doing is the research very much supports the benefits for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels good. It feels good because I don't eat until I'm hungry and at night I'm not hungry after dinner. So it just kind of works out really well for me. And it's been the easiest thing for me to do, but I work with clients who want to try different things. Now I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not a nutritionist, nutritionist like you are. So I'm, you know, pretty conservative in what I, I would 
have them try. But I like the idea of eating twice a day. I mean, three times a day is just something we've made up essentially anyways, right? It's not yeah. something that we've been doing since the beginning of time. It's sort of an industrial yeah. revolution kind of idea. <laughs> if you think about our adaptive physiology, we are adapted to survive in times of scarcity because we didn't have food every day. We'd go days without food. So, and we, we haven't changed much since then. So we are adapted to survive. And so that's why we've got this problem with overweight and obesity, because it's way too easy. We have 24 seven calorie in our face everywhere and yeah. unhealthy hyperpalatable ones that make you want to eat more like with the drug-like effect. So it's no wonder we've got this chronic obesity and overweight and chronic disease associated with diet around the world. It's just, we're in this, I call it the modern day trifecta of overabundance. The way we're eating is just not, it's just not serving our goals. No. And, and, but it is hard too, because like, I, it's not our fault in many ways that we're, we're, we're like that because we are being, it's, it's everywhere. Like you said, like the advertising for dairy, like you said, it's everywhere and the way they're promoting it. Well, I think all of these foods that the more they have to promote it, the more unhealthy I feel like it must be then if they've got to do all that work in trying to promote this stuff and throw it in our face, then therefore we need to question it even more. I, I think it's in, what you just said is the most important thing before this, this right before it's that it's not our fault, but mm -hmm. I don't like, I like to reframe that to say you have a choice, but the, mm -hmm. the third, so the three parts of that modern day trifecta, this is important. One is that we're adapted to survive and eat as much calories we can, which is a survival instinct primal. We, we can't get around that. That's not our fault. That's how we're yeah. made. The second part of that is that there's temptation everywhere, nonstop all the time everywhere all day long, no matter where you go. But the third part of this that I think is the hardest part is that it is normalized to overeat and it's no normalized mm. to eat bad food and unhealthy food. And you're the weird, like I'm still 20 years of eating this way and teaching this around the world. And my family's still like pressuring me and my friends still like, well, are you sure you're not hungry? Are you sure you don't want dessert? It's unbelievable. That's what I really spend a lot of time with also with my clients is deal navigating our insane world where you're the weird one. If you're not having dessert, you're not having that double cheeseburger or whatever. So I think that it's important to say, instead of saying it's not our fault, well, no, our biology is a certain way and our environment is crazy. How do you stand in your truth for what you want and take the accountability for your choices? It's not easy, but that's no. everything. That was the name of my book, the choose you now diet. It was about choosing you against the odds of everyone against you, but yeah. like to stand in your truth and you can do it. It's just, it's challenging. But if you own it and then you get all the benefits, you don't want to ever go back and people start to understand. No, because it, it is so powerful. Once you start understanding yourself and once you start knowing what makes you feel good, it is empowering, but it takes that awareness and it takes that, you know, when I work with my clients, it's a lot about learning boundaries and how to say no politely and how to, you know, because everybody's afraid, oh, what, I'm going to insult them if I don't take the dessert or, I'm you know, it's all the social issues associated with that. I think that is the biggest struggle because I think everybody would like to eat healthy, but there's these barriers or what look like barriers in the way that we have to, okay, take away the social thing. So let's, let's practice saying no, and let's practice, you know, these small things that where we can be able to eat the way we actually feel good eating. But I like what you said, because yes, it is, it isn't our fault, but it is up to us because we can choose, we can make the choice. Yeah. I love yeah. to make it empowering. That's what I like to do with my clients. It's like, no, this is, what do you want? Why do you want it? Here's how to do it. And here's how to navigate everything around you. 
and then do it. And then you build on itself. It builds every time you make one of those choices for yourself and stand up for yourself in polite ways, of course. Yeah. Um, you learn, you learn the strategies, you learn the language, you learn the little nuances and then, and then you're getting all the results. So it, it just gets easier, but it takes, it takes a lot of stamina and willpower and desire. If you want it, you can do it. That's the bottom yeah, line. I think so. And I think so. And I think if you can surround yourself with people or a coach or somebody who can help you through it, obviously that would help a lot too. If you, you know, the people around you are going to, although you said, like you said, and it happens to me too, family, friends, everybody's pushing, <laughs> pushing the food on you, even though they know you don't eat it, but they feel bad for you somehow. That's what I, you well, know, also, it must be so hard not to eat that. I'm like, well, actually yeah. it's not so bad. <laughs> right. And also we're tribal. So we, we bond over bread. That was my Ted talk. We're breaking bread. Like we yeah. bond over food. We celebrate with food. We mourn over food. We bond and connect over food. Like everything is surrounding food, We everything. And so it's a cultural, deep, 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 psychosocial, biological, emotional thing. Very mm -hmm. complicated, very interesting though. But you can also yeah. learn about yourself. What I like to do is use food as the language to kind of understand why you do the things you do in life and how you relate to people. Cause that's like a way to, to kind of go into your deep psyche by the way you it make is. these choices. It is, it is interesting. It is very psychological and I, I do find it fascinating. Uh, and that's the part that I, when I do work with the clients, I find the most fascinating because there are uh, clients that are afraid to be hungry. There's a fear of hunger, right? There's, there's different feelings that show up and it's like, wow, okay. But not until you actually try, you know, not until you actually get curious about yourself and gain some awareness, do you see that this is what's actually going on? It's not because you have to eat. It's because, oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to be hungry. What is that all about? So I just find that all that fascinating. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fascinating. It is. So, I mean, this is really good. I don't know if there's any small tips or ideas that you can give women who are midlife. I mean, you've already given so many ideas here. Maybe just one more thing that I haven't asked you about that you would suggest for women who are in midlife. Yes, I would suggest... A few things. First, I would say there's no such thing as perfection. That doesn't exist. There's no perfect diet and don't even try it. Like, don't let that go. Let yourself be human. You are human and you're not broken. I want everyone to know they're not broken. They're human. And we have these natural desires and instincts and we live in this crazy world. But also, when was the last time you asked yourself, what do you want? As a woman in this age, age range, right? Like I have uh, teenage kids and like you ask them all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? What if food wasn't an issue anymore? And you could really kind of start looking back at like, well, we're, you've already had your career, started your career, had your kids or whatever, whatever you did in your life. Like, what about now? Like, if we're not, we're like, we're still much so, there's so much more time left now because we've got such an amazing options and we live so much longer. So like, what do you want to do? And like, where's your joy and where is your you know, your excitement and your passions and like refine that because food is great and everything. But like, I think sometimes we kind of let go of like a desire to keep going. Like what else do you want to learn something new? Or do you want to try something new? And like, let yourself do some of that indulgent deliciousness. That's not only food, but also taking care of yourself. Oh, I love that. I indulge in all the deliciousness. So not just the food. And I love that too, because I think for a lot of women, especially who have dealt with weight issues all their lives. And that's a lot of women food has, is just on their minds constantly. 
And it's been decades by, by midlife. It's been decades like that. So to get out of that mindset and to focus, to turn your focus away from food, don't make it a source of like, you know, it doesn't have to be everything. If you start enjoying the deliciousness of doing a new activity or meeting new people or doing things that have nothing to do with food, that would be way better <laughs> and, and not worry about the perfection of the diet of the way you're going to eat because healthy eating can happen in so many different ways. Right. I love yes. that. I love yeah. that. The deliciousness of life. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the question I do ask all my guests when they come on is what's the best part of getting older in your opinion and your experience? I love this question so much. Nobody asks you that, you know, it's a great <laughs> question. I mean, the obvious one is the wisdom that you gain about you and the world and you just this perspective that keeps growing every day. But I feel like I just want to keep growing and learning and knowing more. Like the more I know, the more I know I don't know and I want to know more about. So I find that fascinating, but I've never been happier. Like I, I found myself, I know who I am at this point. You know, it's taken me decades, but it's like, I feel like this is such a great time to stay healthy so that I could explore. My kids are older now and it's like, I'm free. And it's like, it's so exciting. And I love my work. So it's like, I'm in this really great place now where I really get to do whatever I want. And I've never been happier. And I think that's just product of working hard my whole life. And here we are and yeah, see what happens next. Oh, I love it. I mean, it's just, ex you are exuding that right now. You're just, <laughs> you're glowing. So I'm like, okay, obviously you're doing something right. And it's not just the food. It's everything, right? It's, you know, you're doing the work you're passionate about clearly and you've got your kids and, but now you've got time for yourself. And that's what I love about this time of life too, is you find yourself in this place where, okay, my duties of being a mom are kind of like not as important as they were. And now I can, it's really more about me and what do I want? Like you said, that question, it's such a loaded question though. And a lot of women do have a hard time answering that. What do you want? But, but now you have a chance to see, okay, what, like tune into yourself. What do you want? What is making you happy right now? What is great about your life right now? And what are the things you want to change? So yeah, I loved your answer. Thank you so much for, for that. And thank you for making all of this so simple because it is complicated. It can be complicated if we, if we make it that way, but can also be very simple. And that, you know, finding a way of eating that is, is healthy does not have to be that complicated. And I know you have some really great recipes I've seen on, on your YouTube channel. Anyways, I imagine you have some on your website as well. I do. I do in my books and everything, but yeah, I think that it can be complicated, but it doesn't need to be. And I think if you just literally, if anyone just wants to make one change, it's like eat more whole plants, 10 servings of fruits and vegetables a day, which is not hard to do. I have videos showing you how to do that too. And, and minimize processed foods and animal products. I mean, that's it. If you could just do that and start slowly and see the better, or have a meatless day or like one of those kind of a concepts and just yeah. play with it. But the, the simpler, the better and the more sustainable and you don't need to be complicated. It doesn't make it better to count everything and weigh, mm -hmm. weigh, measure and weigh and all that. Yeah. No, I'm with you all the way. And I loved what you said at the beginning to the spices, just add the spices. It has to taste good. It's got to taste good. So Thank you so much for everything and for being here. And so if the women in my audience want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. And anyone can find me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I'm all over social media with different names. So either plant-based dietitian on Facebook or Juliana Hover 
on Instagram. So it's all on my website. You can link through there, but I always answer. I try to answer all of my messages on social media and you could contact me directly through my website on my contact page. Okay. And all your books are also listed on your website, right? I, I think yes. They were and they're on there. Amazon and they're, yeah. Yeah. They're easy. Oh, that's fabulous. Okay. Yeah. Well, this was so great. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast. And I think that my listeners are going to get a lot out of this. I know you've answered a lot of questions that I know I hear from them a lot. So I know this is going to be super helpful. So thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Midlife Momentum Podcast. If you want to learn more about working with me, come visit me at debbieharbeckcoaching.com. That's Debbie, I-E, Harbeck with a C, coaching.com. See you next week.